the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, the Gentiles in Antioch are glad to hear the words of Paul and Barnabas. But those Jews who didn't believe are filled with envy and speak against them. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 13, verse 45. Once again, that's Acts chapter 13, verse 45. Verse 45. But when the Jews look at what it says, when they saw the multitudes, you know, there's always, and pardon if your name's Nancy, there's always a negative Nancy out there. There's always a bummer, Bob. There's always somebody out there who's just trying to say, well, you know, I don't know how many of these, I don't know how many of these people are really genuinely interested in God. And there's always somebody out there who's willing to see a work that God's doing and to kind of just poo-poo it and say, I don't really know what's going on here. And to cast doubt upon the Lord. Why? Why? They were jealous. When they saw the multitudes, it says they were filled with envy, jealousy, resentment. They'd never packed out the synagogue like this before. And instead of rejoicing at what God had done, they opposed the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. It says that they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. They began to say, now listen, I know all y'all are gathered here because you've heard the thing that Paul said last week and Barnabas told us about last week, but we're here to tell you that it's not true. Don't believe these guys. Jesus is not the Messiah. He's a criminal and he was crucified as a criminal. He's a traitor. These guys are wrong. Ooh, you got to imagine that must have uh, had quite the reaction from Paul and Barnabas. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. The word there means they spoke openly. A lot of times when we think of boldness, I think we mistake it for rudeness. Being bold is not being rude. Being bold, it means to speak freely. When the Bible talks about us having boldness to come before his throne of grace, right? We know about that verse, that we have boldness. The word there means freedom to speak. I don't have to be afraid to come to God. I don't have to worry that if I come to God, that he's going to be angry at me or frustrated with me, or he's going to turn me away. I have a freedom to come into his presence. I have a freedom to speak to him, that he will hear the cry of my heart. When I pour out my frustration to him, I pour out my sin to him, and I say, Lord, I'm just struggling. He's not bothered by that. It's not like he hears it and he goes, oh, cover my ears. What did you do? I can't hear that. Don't you realize this is the holy throne of God? See, the only thing that's going to annoy the Lord is if you come to him and you say to him, God, I know I'm wrong, but I really don't want to change. That's when the Lord will be like, well, we need to talk then. 
because it is a throne. Therefore, we come submissively. We come humbly. But man, we come freely. That's our Abba. That's our dad. We can come talk to him. God says, come. Come. The veil is torn. Come. The whole purpose, when you get to Hebrews, he gets to chapter 10 and he says, let us enter in. Let us come. Having our consciences washed and sprinkled, let us come through the veil that is his flesh, which was torn. It's free. We can enter in right there into the Holy of Holies, right into his presence. They wax bold. It means to speak openly. So they were not afraid. And what I mean by weren't afraid, it doesn't mean they didn't feel fear. I don't know what they felt, but they felt the freedom to speak. And see, the problem is, as the enemy comes to us, says, you can't say that. Don't say that. They'll react this way if you say that. But in Christ, we have permission to speak. We have an obligation to speak. And so they waxed bold. They spoke openly. They could have easily backed down. They were in a foreign place with no friends. But to do so would have left all these new believers and interested non-believers in the hands of petty self-seeking men. And we cannot do that. We cannot afford to let people who don't know Christ or who barely know Christ to go and attend a church where all they're going to get is good, happy feelings. We cannot allow that. We cannot sit here and just stand back and go, well, you know, that's just the signs of the times and that's how it goes. And Jesus is coming back and I hope quick before too much damage is done. John, in the book of Revelation, when he saw the harlot, the woman riding the beast, it says he was horrified. He was horrified. He was shocked. Why? Because what he saw was an apostate church. He was horrified. You say, what are you saying, Will? Well, what I'm not saying is this. We have beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ that may go by a different name on their church, but as long as we believe the essentials together, that's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Today, the danger is to compromise. To say that we don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is a way. I was reading a book that talked about how one poll said that, what is it, 73% of the United States claim to be born-again Christians. But when further pressed, it was only 6 to 8% that actually believe Jesus is the only way, that the Bible is the word of God. So then what is filling churches this day? And that's the problem. We cannot stand by while other people proclaim and say, well, yeah, Muhammad's a way and Buddha's a way and Hinduism's a good way too. And we can learn a lot from the ancients. We cannot stand by and say yes to that. I remember a brother of mine, he, he was mentioning that his grandmother attended the church for years and years and years and years, but they were bringing in imams and they were bringing in Buddhists and Hindus. And finally, she said, I can't do it anymore. Good for her. Good for her. We cannot allow petty self-seeking rock star preachers to be gobbling up the souls of men. We must minister the truth of God's word. We must minister the, the love, the true love, that God doesn't want you to perish because of your sin. So I encourage you. Let me ask you something. If all of us invited one person to church this year, and they stayed. How long do you think it would take for us to reach a lot of Orlando? Not very long, would it? I think sometimes we see the task that's out there, and I, I'm right there with you. I go on Facebook sometimes or read the news or you hear the radio, or whatever, and just think, man, Lord, come quickly because it's just done. 
I understand that, but we can't lose heart and we can't give up. So instead of looking at the big, huge task at hand, maybe look at it at one step at a time. Make it your prayer. Say, Lord, every day, Lord, lead me to one person that I can invite to church. Lead me to one person that I can share the gospel with. Just one. Stay there and then wait and see what God will do. I promise you, God will give you opportunity. I was driving out of somewhere the other day. And as I was driving out, this person comes walking up and want to talk to me. Got to share the Lord with him. I've been praying that prayer. Lord, give me one person to share the gospel with, one person to invite to church. And you would think, oh, no, it didn't happen. I remember, it was so funny. I was in the car going, oh, I didn't get to really share with anybody today. And then I pull out and there's somebody right there. He is more willing to save them than you're willing to tell them. He's more willing to bring them into your path than you are to go find them. So why not ask him? Why not make it a focus? Well, they spoke against Paul and Paul and Barnabas. They waxed bold and they said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. We had to announce this news to you first as Jesus was your Messiah. But since you didn't want God's love, we're gonna take it to those who do. It says, but seeing you put it from you, seeing you thrust it away, you reject it, and you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, it has been said that there is no worth in us whatsoever that God would redeem us by his son. But it's interesting that they judge themselves unworthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My worth, your worth is infinite because God has placed it upon you. It is infinite. Because God has placed it upon you. Let me ask you, how wide is God's love? Does it ever run out? Well, then your worth is infinite because he has set his love upon you. See, when someone rejects the gospel, they are rejecting the only worth that we have. That God would love us enough to send his son to die for us. I wouldn't do that. But God commends his, his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is why self-esteem or self-worth is not important in life. You say, what are you talking about, Will? No, God esteem is what you and I need. You want to have confident kids? Tell them how much God loves them and never ever tire of telling them that every day they can walk around and understand that I am valued by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who made me, who fashioned me in my mother's womb, who knew me before I existed. And then he died for me, knowing all the things that I would do. He did it anyway. See, my self-value is both limited and tainted by my sinful nature. If I take value for myself because I'm supposed to have self-esteem, I'm so wonderful, I'm so smart. Well, number one, that's limiting because some of us aren't that smart and some of us aren't that wonderful sometimes. And it's also tainted by our sinful nature because sometimes we think we're wonderful when we really aren't. <laughs> Only in seeing our worth in God to God can you truly rise to all the heights that God intended you to be. Now, Paul, he says, since you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul would no longer come to the synagogue here with his message. He'd go out to the rest of the city where those people who were crowding and trying to get in were. They wanted to hear it. They were interested. I'm going to go to them. And how that must have burned these guys. Little men with little kingdoms can never embrace what it means that God loves the world. Never embrace it. Paul didn't have any of those limitations and neither should we. Neither should we. And so in verse 47, he explains why he's going to the Gentiles. For so has the Lord commanded us saying, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation under the ends of the earth. Verse 48, 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord. As many as were ordained to eternal life, they believed. So we have two things going on here. Number one, we find revival breaking out among the Gentiles. Can you imagine? You're all out there, and you're listening, and as you're listening, all of a sudden, these guys get up and say, now listen, everybody. I know Paul said last week and Barnabas said last week that you can be justified with God without keeping the law of Moses, but they are wrong. Any of you Gentiles out there, you need to be circumcised. You got to keep the law. You can't eat shrimp. You can't do this. You can't do that. And as you're hearing that, can you imagine how deflated it would have been? All your hopes have been brought up and now they're just dashed to pieces. All week long, word's been spreading about God's forgiveness, that he wants to pardon our sin and give us his righteousness. And then you come and hear that nonsense, that this God of the Jews doesn't care about you. Then when Paul and Barnabas stand up and they declare their willingness to leave their own heritage to come and bring this message of hope to you, can you imagine what that was like to hear as a Gentile? There's an old hymn. it's, It's my favorite hymn. It's called, The Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the last two verses are powerful. It says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. And that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. God's spirit, he is far greater than the whims of petty men and their little kingdoms. And so they glorified God. They heard this, they were glad and they glorified God. When God's love is boldly declared without apology, God's word is held in high esteem. They glorified the word of the Lord. You know, men don't need my words. You don't need my words. They need his words. (laughs) Not my intelligence or the devising of systematic theologies, but his pure, unadulterated words of life. Amen. That's what we need. And then secondly, it says, and as many as were ordained to eternal life, they believed. That's a horrible translation. If you have an old King James, uh, most of the translators of the old King James were uh, Reformed Scottish guys and wonderful brothers, but they definitely put their own spin on a few words. And so you have to be careful with some of the things you read in the New Testament. If you have a King James Bible, the word here ordained, it's a military term. It means to place oneself or arrange oneself in a certain place or order. And these Jews, the ones Paul said God chose in his sermon to be the recipients of his blessings, they rejected those blessings. He spent the whole beginning of his sermon saying God chose you to be the recipients of his blessings. But now they've rejected those blessings. And these Gentiles that chose to put their faith in Christ, they happily arranged themselves on Paul's side, thus becoming recipients of those blessings in their place. As Paul declared in verse 47, that God appointed them to the task of preaching to the Gentiles, these converts align themselves with that appointment by responding to the message of salvation through faith. That's what it means when the Bible talks about submitting unto your husbands as unto the Lord. It means you arrange yourself in order. It doesn't mean you become a slave. It means there's an order to the family. There's an order to life. If we didn't have any order like that, how chaotic would life be? And no serious Greek translator sees this verse as a decree by God of who is saved and who is damned. My first lesson in Greek class when we took it was that context is the most important part of translation. And context is clear here. 
In the same way that these Jews exercise their choice by deeming themselves unworthy of God's free gift, these Gentiles exercise their choice to embrace it and line themselves up underneath Paul's teaching. The result, verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. God's word was continually carried throughout all the region. When true revival falls, guess what happens? God's word is lifted high and spreads wide. I remember there was uh, in the 1980s, 1990s, there was an odd so-called revival. People laughing and barking and roaring like lions. And I remember I had a conversation because we were concerned about some friends of ours who were getting married and were going to attend a church that practiced these types of things. And we were worried about her. And so I approached her and I said, you might want to reconsider this marriage because you're going to go into a church that's going to be really weird. And so at the, you know, at the, you know, they decided to do what they're going to do. But at the wedding, I was approached by quite a few of these leaders from that church. And they explained to me that, you know, just like you want to bounce your baby boy on your belly as you're laying down. I don't know if I've ever done that, but you want to bounce your boy on your belly and just laugh and giggle and have fun with your kid. God wants to do that sometimes with us. And I said, you know, that's a great, great, great picture. I said, I just don't see it in the Bible anywhere. I was accused of being short-sighted, limiting God. Listen, God, who has no limitations, has placed certain limitations on how we behave, right? The Bible says we're to walk worthy of our calling, right? What does that even mean? Well, it says here how we're supposed to walk. The Bible says we're to let everything be done decently in order, right? So if we ignore God's spoken word to do things that we are guessing about what God is like, then what kind of dangers can we get involved in? You know, what I said to them, I said, when a true revival happens, God's word is lifted high. God's word is lifted high and it spreads. Not necessarily this idea of everyone being happy and everyone being excited and, you know, there's energy in the air, but it's the concept of God's word. That is what's lifted high. That is what is placed on a podium. God says he's placed his word above his own name and how high is his name? Hmm. Verse 50, though, persecution comes. But the Jews, they stirred up the devout and honorable women, the prominent and high-standing women in this particular area. It's interesting. This was one of the few areas in the Roman Empire where women had a high place in society. Jewish women in particular had political power in the city as well. Uh, One such woman, Deborah, is mentioned in an inscription that was discovered in the ruins of a nearby city that her family continually held office here in Antioch of Pisidia. So these Jews, they stirred up some of these politically powered women and then also the chief men of the city, the rulers of the city, and they raised or incited persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they threw them out. They threw them out of their city. They threw them out of their borders. Where they're expelled means to throw out. Paul and Barnabas were not allowed back into the city legally. And so they expelled them out of their coasts. What did they do? Verse 51, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them And they came unto Iconium in obedience to our Lord Jesus, who in Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, he instructed them. He said, and whosoever should not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. For verily I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Yikes, I wouldn't want to be the guys who kicked him out. You know, This is where courage comes in. When people align themselves against us, whether it's at work or maybe in your neighborhood or in the family, you're trying to share the gospel and it seems like they're opposed to you. And we tend to kind of get in our shell and kind of go, people don't like me. 
And what happens is, is the enemy starts to associate our success in preaching the gospel with whether people respond positively or not. But that's not true. When you get to heaven, is the Lord going to ask you how many people you led to Christ? No, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you faithful over many. If you've shared the gospel, I remember what happened to me. I was a sophomore in high school, so I was about 14, 15. And I was in Spanish class. And somebody made a comment about Jesus. And I said, well, no, that's not true. The Bible says this. And we've gotten into this spiritual conversation. Well, then like six or seven other people started jumping in the conversation and started telling me how dumb I was to believe that, how silly it was, and how stupid I was. And I was a brand new believer. And so I got all these people, like eight or nine people just bashing me for my faith. And I remember I kind of went all inward and I was like, I'll never tell anybody about Jesus again. I didn't like the experience. I thought, man, I'm not good at this because nobody's responding positively. I remember when I went on my first mission trip, it was a short-term mission trip right before my 16th birthday down to Haiti. And when I went down there, we would have three teams. There were a prayer team, a construction team, an evangelism team. And when it was my turn to be on the evangelism team, I faked being sick. I would rather lie to everybody else in the presence of God than go out and share my faith because I was terrified. I'm not good at this. I'm not gonna know what to say and people are gonna yell at me like they did before. And I don't want to go through that again. I'm thankful I had leaders who were much wiser (laughs) and more in tune with the Lord to know that I was being dishonest. And so they sent me out and they paired me with one of the youth pastors who came with us from another church. And that day I got to lead for the very first time somebody to Christ. I got to see somebody pass from death to life. Listen, but even if that had never happened, it doesn't matter. The point is, is where to go. He didn't say go and, and make sure everybody you preach to always gets saved because that's the only way you're going to be successful. He said, go, just go. We make disciples, but you can't make disciples if you don't go, if you don't speak, if you don't say it. And if it doesn't work out, you just say, well, Lord, I tried to be faithful to share your message. Please open their heart. Please help those seeds not to fall on hard ground. And then, Lord, lead me to the next person. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in in Utah, which is a heavy Mormon area, which obviously it's not always easy to share the gospel there. And so I asked him, I said, how do you do it? And he said to me, I just realized I'm either number one or number two or number three or number four, because that Bible says some plant, right? Some water and some reap the harvest, right? It's God who gives the increase. And he says, maybe I'm the, that first seed. Maybe I'm that, that third watering, you know? So just be faithful, just be faithful. So they came into Iconium, which is a nearby city to the Southeast. But verse 52, look at the other result. And the disciples, that's back in Antioch, the place they got kicked out of. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Even without Paul and Barnabas, they were filled with joy and full of the Holy Ghost. We don't know how long they were there. How long, I mean, maybe for a few weeks, maybe a month. We don't know how long it took them to get kicked out. But whatever time they were there when it wasn't very long. And so after Paul and Barnabas leave, they still are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they had Jesus. They had Jesus. And that means no matter what the enemy throws at us, we can rejoice. Jesus will never be taken from us. He can never be kicked out of our town because he's God. He's everywhere. And God's spirit will empower us to face whatever comes our way regardless of whatever leader or group or whether we feel alone or not, Jesus is there. And you know what? This is the church as God has designed it. And as the current climate of our culture grows more and more hostile toward the gospel of Jesus Christ, we too can thrive. We can see God's word spread. We can see sinners saved. We can experience the spirit's power in our midst because God hasn't stopped loving people, right? 
He hasn't stopped loving people. And because of that, they're still worth the precious blood of his son to Kim. So let me ask you today, how do you view your neighbors? How do you view your coworkers, your unsafe family members? Is there somebody you've given up on? Don't ever give up. The old hymn at Calvary, it says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Whatever gulf that we might see, whatever you think might be impossible, remember how impossible you were. Then he came and found you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we need you desperately. We need your fire in our bones. We need your fire in our hearts. Lord, we need your love, Lord, to just overflow us. Lord, we need a deeper understanding of it. And when we see our coworkers, we see our neighbors, we see our, our lost family members, Lord, that, that we would reach out to them, that we would be burning with passion for them in the same way that you are when you died on the cross for them. Lord, that in a sense, as you say in your word, that we'd fill up that which is lacking, Lord, that, that you're physically, we don't see you here now to, to speak to us and to lead us, Lord, into how to do these things, that we might be your mouthpiece, we might be your hands, might be your feet as we bring this great news of your cross, Lord, to the people that we're around. God, would you fall afresh in us? Would you move in power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God loves you. He loves you, and his constant hope is that you will be won over by his amazing, infinitely forgiving love. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.